What's up? This is Sean Dustin, the host of the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Today is April 3rd. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Glad to have you uh, with us today. This is episode 27. Today we will be talking to Emily Ann Peterson. Emily Ann is a musician, an author, uh, a coach, but she was also a cellist as a career, and she experienced a career-ending diagnosis, uh, which you know caused her to have to stop doing uh, what she enjoyed doing uh, for a career to make money, uh, livelihood, uh, you know, and how she identified herself. And all, all of a sudden, one day, all that's gone. And so she shares her uh, story on and how she was able to pull through that or those times. And the only other thing I got is, uh, you know, if you enjoy the show, uh, tell a friend, spread the word, get me some listeners. Uh, you know, I'd appreciate it. If you're on iTunes, uh, rate, review. It's always a good way to help, help the show out. Aside from that... I hope everybody uh, who's quarantining, sheltering in place, uh, social distancing, staying at home, uh, you know, I hope we are all doing our part, you know, regardless of how we feel about uh, the current situation that we're in with this coronavirus, um, err on the side of uh, caution and just do what they're telling you. It's for a short period of time. Use the time wisely. Reflect. Learn something. If you have questions, it's a good time to seek out the answers for them on the internet. But beware of misinformation and disinformation. You know, it's pretty much our time to uh, do with as we please. And what better way to spend it uh, other than trying to improve yourself? So enough of me, and uh, let's go ahead and get to the show. All right, this is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today, my guest is Emily Ann Peterson, and she is the author of Bare, Bare Naked, Naked Bravery. Bare Naked Bravery. I should have had this already memorized and done, but I didn't, and so apologize for that. I'm not a professional anything. I just like to talk. Emily. That's all of us. That's all of us. Go, Emily Ann, go ahead and... Uh, 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 introduce yourself and and uh you know what what you're doing here well thank you for having me um so i'm an i'm a songwriter i'm a musician and i happen to also be an author um i about like the short version of the story i'll give the short version and then you can dive into which area you want to go into um the short version is that Six years ago, about six years ago, I was a full-time cellist and cello teacher, and I was living in the Seattle area, um, had like maybe between 20 and 30 different cello students and was doing recording sessions and performances all over the area um, and really loving it. It was like a really great time, and I started noticing that my um, my right hand would shake. Um, and, and that is not, not a good thing for a stringed instrument 
player to have happen, especially in your right hand, because that's the hand that you hold the bow with. Um, and I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with an essential tremor. So one essential tremor in my right hand and it's degenerative and neurological and hereditary. And so over the course of like several doctor's appointments, um, it was, it was became really clear that it was a career halting diagnosis because we didn't know how bad it was going to get. And we also didn't know how fast it was going to get bad. Um, so like, at that time, we did, I didn't know if I had like a year left to play this instrument or if I had another 20 years left. Um, and that big question mark made it really not a prudent decision to continue um, investing my career in something that like basically putting all my eggs in a basket with a really big hole at the bottom. And it was tragic, terrible. There were lots of tears and, um, and through that process of like getting myself up off the ground (laughs) and doing the next thing, I had a lot of people telling, telling me that I was being really brave and that really, it irked me a little bit because it didn't feel brave at all. And the fact that I didn't, understand what bravery really meant, um, kind of shocked me a little bit. And then I also just cause I usually consider myself to be somebody who likes to take risks and do those kinds of things. And, um, and so I did a lot of research, read a lot of books, love me some Brene Brown, like, you know, love me all that good stuff. Uh, But what I found in doing a lot of that, like book reading, like head knowledge research about fear and, um, and courage and wholeheartedness is, is that it's a lot of theories and not a lot of like, here's what you do next (laughs) and not a lot of like recipes. Um, And I'm the kind of person that needs that analytical, like, here are all the ingredients. So I kept having conversations with people about it. And those conversations turned into a podcast and that podcast turned into this book called Bare Naked Bravery, How to Be Creatively Courageous. And um, it's mostly stories from my life in, and, and how I have applied the various uh, 12 ingredients of bravery um, and have continue to do so in the rest of my life. I mean, um, one of the things that I learned in my research was that bravery is a spiral or it's, I I think of it as a spiral and it starts off really small. So sometimes when you're doing brave things at first, you don't, you don't acknowledge that they're brave because they're so tiny. And a lot of times they don't get noticed because those feats of bravery are so small. Um, like just thinking a thought for the first time, right? That's really small. Um, but when we get, when we do brave things and the spiral goes out and out and out, and we continue to practice them out outwards, then the spiral gets bigger and we get to practice that bravery on a daily basis. So 
that's what the book's all about. And that's what I now do a lot, a lot of, I talk about bravery a lot these days. So, yeah. Yeah. I can kind of, I, I relate to your analogy. Uh, and I, I, I use the same one, but I don't, I don't call it a spiral. I call it like small victories and it's more mine, not bravery, but it's more in line with building confidence and, but it kind of, it goes, this. It, it, it can be interchanged with that because bravery could be somebody's confidence, you know what I mean? Or somebody's confidence could, you know, make them braver than somebody else uh, because they have that confidence. Absolutely. So I, so I, so I think well, you know, of, like being, being a confident person or the, the pursuit of being more confident can be a very brave thing to pursue for and, some people. So, um, yeah, for sure. And so there's small victories that go along with building that confidence. You know what I mean? So let's just say, you know, mm-hmm. I have a small goal. Uh, let's, uh, let's just wake up today, you know, and I, and I'm, and I use this analogy mm-hmm. more like when I'm trying to bring myself out of a, a dark place or a, a downtime, because we all have them. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that every, I don't think that anybody's excluded from having those kind of issues or those kind of problems or challenges. I think that, you know, uh, people that are severely depressed, um, just don't, don't ha- are missing a mechanism that the rest of us have to be able to pull ourselves out of, of these times and, or, or down, down points in your life. And so what I would normally do is, is, you know, just take small things, take small steps to, to the bigger picture. And as you're building your confidence, uh, by completing these, these goals, uh, Mm -hmm. you start getting confidence to want to take on bigger goals. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that I, that, so I, since publishing the book, I also started the school called the school of bravery. Um, and one of the things that I really, encourage the students in the school of bravery to do is to practice um, bravery from a place of strength rather than from a place of weakness. And if, and I am of the belief that we are all differently abled um, just because you are quote unquote missing something that someone else has doesn't mean that you are less than them. Um, It means that you are equipped to accomplish your life in a different way. And it's up to you to determine what is the easiest way to do that rather than why do I, why do I have to do it every, the way that everyone else is doing it? So for instance, if you're struggling with depression um, and, and you are physiologically, chemically like missing some like, enzymes right there. Um, because that is a thing, right. For people who deal with chronic depression, you still are very differently abled as a human to move through life and do very brave things. Um, there are, you're more in touch with your lower sets of emotions and there are jobs and, um, there are like art there's art out there that needs that kind of um that kind of um skill set basically and if you tap into things that 
are designed for you or things that you designed for yourself to accomplish, then your feats of bravery naturally feel epically easier. And I think that's what a lot of people, what I've noticed since publishing the book is that um, people will, or I've seen it so much is that people hear the word brave and they think, Oh, wow. I, I have to be brave. So I have to do this brave thing and I have to throw myself under the bus and do like become a martyr to this feat of bravery. Um, and that is not what I'm saying um, for any of this. And so you can do bravery and it can feel easy. Um, and it doesn't have to feel like pulling your own teeth out, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. So what was what was the lowest point of your of your diagnosis I guess you would say and 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 you know you had this life pretty much laid out for you and you know mm-hmm. it, it seemed like you know you were in a place where most people were trying or, or in some cases never get to you have a yeah. you you have a a career and a passion that that you loved so yeah. at your at your lowest point, what was that and how did you get through it? I think the start of the lowest point um, was a, a very distinct moment. I remember sitting on the butcher paper in the doctor's office, you know, the how they had pulled that butcher paper across that thing in the, in yeah, the yeah. room. Um, so I was sitting on that crinkly paper and the doctor is writing me a prescription. It's like the second prescription because the first one made me feel really woozy. Like the, anytime you're doing prescriptions for like neurological stuff, it's really intense medication because you're dealing with your brain chemistry. Right. Um, and so the second prescription, he was writing it out for me and I just, I was like, so this isn't going to go away, is it? Because by that point I had done my like Wikipedia Googling research on all this. And I remember him putting his pencil down or pen down and he took a really big deep breath and he like looked up from his script pad and he was like, no, this is not going away. And I remember that moment as being like one of the Cause it hits you in waves when you, ha- when you go through these really dark seasons, um, the, your, your, your psyche can't handle all of it all at once. And so what I've noticed is that when you are going through these really like these seasons of bravery that have been, um, where you don't really have a choice to, but to walk through them. Right. Um, those seasons of bravery, often your brain will work on your behalf <laughs> and not let you experience the full weight of everything all at once. Um, and in that case, it was like a, an, a brief instance of, whoa, this is, this is, this is so real. This, uh, this is going to be a life-changing situation here. Um, and I didn't know at the time how life changing that it was going to be a good life change or a bad life change. I just knew that like everything, everything in my life was going to change. Um, 
because at that time, the exact apartment that I rented was because of, I, I lived next to some bandmates. I was in a band and they wanted me in the band because of the instrument that I played. Um, so the exact apartment that I rented was because of my instrument. Um, the people that I interacted with on a, like a all day basis <laughs> was because of this instrument. And it was so ingrained in who I was that I almost would just say like, hi, my name's Emily Ann Peterson. I played the cello. Like it was right after my, my name, my last name. Um, and so there was a lot of, through that season, there was a lot of like identity deconstruction um, and reconstruction. Um, but it, it affected my, the way that I paid the rent. <laughs> it affected like um, who I saw. It affected everything. Um, how I spent my free time, all that. So it, it the, those kinds of diagnoses are more common than we, than, you know, than we like to admit, you know, like somebody who gets, you know, a breast cancer diagnosis or, um, you know, we're here in the, in the middle of this quarantine where like, wow, our, our, our entire like world is about to change and is changing as we speak, you know? Um, and a lot of us don't have a lot of control over the, the things we don't have control over. Right. Um, so it can feel really chaotic and scary. Um, but I know that, but I know that one of, one of the really cool pieces of bravery or cool ingredients of bravery is, um, power of choice, um, and if you've, even if you feel like a victim, you at your core are not a victim. Um, like even if it feels like because you got laid off or because you got this diagnosis, you now are a victim of the coronavirus, or you are now a victim of your economy or your boss being a jerk or whatever. Um, and that may be true for a, a brief moment, but you at your core are not a victim. Um, you're a human and you're a creative human and you have a lot of other adjectives that you get to attach to you. Um, and your power of choice can lie in how you react to a given situation. And that, that has to, a lot to do with, you know, like how you pull yourself up from the bottom um, and how you can build your own resilience and, um, and practice your bravery on a, on a daily basis. So yeah, that power of choice is really important. So if I gather what you're saying, so we have, we have the, the opportunity, uh, and and the choice in how we respond to a victimizing situation. Yes, I'm not saying that there are not victims ever because it it has to do with um, boundaries and consent. Um, this, if if I 
place a boundary and, you know, like, please do not come within six feet of me. (laughs) That's, you know, like our like social distancing boundary right now. Um, And you choose to, or someone else chooses to break that boundary. They have now stepped over that boundary on purpose (laughs) and knowing that the boundary was there and have now like victimized me. But even if they victimized me, I am not a victim because I can back up (laughs) and I can go, whoa, step across, step back across that line. I can use my words. I can use my body movement. My, um, I could call the police. I can like, there's so many, so many ways to react to somebody crossing a line of yours. Um, and, and I have to, you know, I, I make that really clear because, you know, there are victims like of sexual assault and really traumatic moments where, you know, like it's just terrifying to go through those situations. Um, even, you know, even if you think you're brave and you're going to go to war and you come back with PTSD, um, those those moments are going to be the ones that require the most power of choice from you um, to, to stand up and, and, you know, testify against your abuser or to say the word, no, I don't want you to do that. Or to just simply back up and away or cut off that relationship, you know? Um, So it doesn't have to be, the 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 power of choice or the actions that you take as a result of your power of choice don't have to be these big grand huge gestures like i don't know filling out an arrest warrant or something like that it can also simply just be blocking the person on social media and never talking about it <laughs> you know or or um saying oh one word, which is no. And that's a full sentence. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think victim victimization, uh, comes in a lot of different forms and it can be dealt with in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and being a victim is actually, you know, some, some, some victimizing situations are not by choice, but how you react to those situations is definitely by choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, so we can, we can kind of contextualize it in a way that, okay, so let's just say somebody who was raped did not ask for that, irregardless of, of, you know, how scantily dressed they could have been or any of the other excuses that get thrown out there about that. Um, I don't, nobody has the right to put their hands on anybody else unwarranted, uh, period. And so, but, yet that happened to you, how are you going to now respond? Okay. Mm -hmm. You can, you can use this as a, you know, this experience as a, a a way to want to hide and run away and, and choose to not live your life and, and, and be out there in, in the public or or taking chances or, or now risks, if you want to, if you want to call it that, or you can, rise above that yes it happened uh it was horrible uh 
this is maybe how it could have been prevented. Um, and, and, and looking back at, you know what I mean? Your, some of those situations can't be prevented, Yeah, you know, because honestly, like if you state a boundary and your boundary is just default, I'm going to the grocery store and someone just has it out for you and decides to like really get, really go to town on you, then you, that's, you didn't have, you can't prevent that. Um, doesn't matter how much pepper spray you have on your keychain, you know? So I, I, I'm, you know, we can get, we can get real dark yeah. real fast with a lot of this stuff, but I, I do want to make sure that it's, it's important that, that, um, a lot of people want to avoid fear and they want to, um, uh, the, the, the possession of fear in their body or in their mind feels uncomfortable. Um, and when you learn to befriend it, it, and learn how to utilize it to your advantage, it, it helps you so much. It helps you so much. Um, and especially when you are recovering from these like horrific acts of, of trauma and abuse. Um, if you, if it is just absolutely hair raising to wake up and set foot on the floor (laughs) next to your bed and you are really scared about that, that is okay. That is absolutely fine, but you still have a power of choice in how you react and how you utilize that fear. Um, even if you're sitting in your, in bed and you're just like cowering under your covers, you probably have a cell phone nearby and you can call a friend and say, I'm really scared today. I don't, I don't want to get up today. <laughs> um, and, and that kind of vulnerability and honesty is a, is a risk that, that um, utilizes your power of choice. And anytime you use your power of choice and you practice your bravery, you're using your going around that spiral one more time and it gets getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. So, you know, the students of the school of bravery, I have seen it in them a lot. I, I feel it in myself because I practice bravery a lot still, you know, just because I wrote a book about it doesn't mean that I've like mastered it myself um, because I still am practicing it. Um, but I will say that it's been really such an honor and to see the students in the school of bravery, they are learning to feel comfortable living on the edge of that spiral um, and learning to, um, they basically befriended that discomfort and, and they understand that when they feel that kind of fear or that kind of friction or that kind of anxiety that like it's, it exists there for a reason that your brain is working on your behalf. You know, if, if you're, if you are feeling depressed, your brain is sending you signals that something should be different, that you want to feel differently. Um, Or maybe that you don't want to feel differently. Maybe that you want to feel sad just forever and ever. (laughs) Um, And so those messages, like learning how to read those messages from back from our brain can be really powerful when we know how to read those messages and know how to use them. Um, And an example I use all the time is um, walking down an alley. So as a single 
female. I'm as a I'm a musician, so I travel a lot and I often do a lot of solo travel. Um, and if I'm loading into a gig or out of a gig, sometimes that happens in an alley and it's dark. And I have a choice as a single female in the United States to do several things. <laughs> um, I have pepper spray, you know, I, I travel with that. I have a dog. I travel with my dog. Um, I also have a lot of other, you know, like tactics and like, how do I avoid not loading my gear in and out of a dark alley? And the reason why I have all these tactics is because I'm using my fear, right? I'm, I'm listening to dark alley, scary thing. I'm afraid of what might happen in a dark alley because I am more vulnerable in that spot. Um, I am not fearless <laughs> and that's a good thing for my career, my family, my friends, like all of those things, like it's a good thing for me to be using my fear in those ways because I'm protecting myself and I'm, um, and I'm also communicating with the, um, the venues that I'm working with, you know, like I load into a gig. Um, and usually when I load into a gig, it's like daylight out. Right. But I can tell where I'm loading in that like when I'm the gig is done, when the concert's up, it's going to be dark and I'm going to be in a different situation. So usually at that time I make it known to the, the venue manager at the time that like, I'm going to need some help later tonight because it's going to be dark and scary (laughs) in that alley, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are lots, there are lots of ways to, um, to kind of maneuver around those situations. Cause I also am like putting my faith and my trust in a single person who is an event manager for this building who I may have not ever met before, you know? Um, and so there's lots of contingency factors in like using your fear, but it's still really powerful to notice that I, I have fear. The fear is not bad. The fear is a good thing. And if I can use my fear, then I can um, still get the things that I want. I can still play the show. I can still have a concert and have it be wonderful and great. Um, I can still talk to my fans. I can still get the things that I want in my life. Yeah, that's, uh, that I, I, I use, like, I think we do, I, we do the same things, but we, I just, I, I, I call them something a little bit different. Like, uh, to me, what you're describing is just prevention, uh, measures, uh, in, in, you know, preventing, you have a fear of an outcome and these are the steps that I'm going to take to try to prevent and mitigate having to go through this, uh, worst case scenario is, is what it sounds like to me. And so like for myself, uh, something that like fear that would be driven kind of in the way that you're speaking, uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, being addicted again to a substance that like took my life down three different times. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have fears around that. I mean, they're not so much fears now, but they're, they're things that I do or won't do uh, in fear that if 
A happens and then I end up in B, then B will uh, ulti- exponentially increase the the uh, likeliness that C and D will actually follow. And mm-hmm. uh, before I know it, everything that I love and enjoy will no longer or will cease to exist. Right, right. Um, I, it's important, though, to also um, there's a difference between making decisions from your fear or making decisions from your desire. And in the case of the alley gig situation, I'm still making decisions based on my desire to play a concert and show and to be with my audience. But I am using my fears to still accomplish my desire. Whereas the difference between that and making decisions based on my fear is I'm scared of what may happen to me as a single lady if I tour alone. So I'm not going to go at all. Okay. That's a little, yeah. That's, that's also, that's also using my fear. Right. But I, but, but the second instance is me making the decision solely from the place of fear rather than a place of desire. Okay. So that it sound sound like you're, so the one, the one is, is anxiety. All right. So that would actually, that's debilitating, right? So the debilitating uh, action of saying, I'm afraid this is going to happen. Therefore, I'm not going to do it at all. Uh, it falls into like, you know, anxiety. A little I don't bit. know if I'd, I don't know if I'd call it anxiety, no. but yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people make those kinds of decisions all the time. I mean, I see it happen amongst like even marketing clients of mine or school of bravery students who, you know, they're afraid of technology. And so they decide to set up a new product in such a way that they don't have to build the new technology or learn the new technology. Um, But that ultimately isn't great for their end desire of, giving their customers exactly what their customers want and, you know, having a relationship with their customers that like is fun and easy and those kinds of things. So, um, and that's, do you you understand the difference there that like in the, in one way you're saying, I don't want to learn new technology. So I'm going to set up this thing. So I don't ever have to do it. I don't ever have to learn new technology, but that's not the best interest for you. And it's not in the best interest for your clients or your customers, or you can say, okay, what's the best interest for me? What do I really want? What do my clients really want? Oh, we really want to have like click on this button and all these wonderful, magical things happen. Great. That's going to require me to do technology. Oh, encountering my fears. Now here come the fears. I don't like technology. Technology is scary. Here are all these fears. And now you can encounter those fears, face those fears, and learn to utilize them in a better way rather than set your life up so that you're just avoiding your fears altogether. I get that. I, 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 I get it, what you're it, saying there. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I understand. In one way, it's, in one way, it's a, making the assumption that like, 
um, I mean, it, it comes from a place again of me, for me, believing that we are all differently abled and we're not broken despite what may have happened to us or what addictions we may have or what neurological problems we have or um, what our history may be like or what our trauma may have been like in the past. Like those experiences give us different skills Um, and we can still move through life towards our desires, um, towards the things that we want um, and utilize our fears at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. That's absolutely, I mean, you know, it's a, the end, the end game, uh, or the end result, I think for all humanity is we are all striving to be better than we were yesterday. Uh, for the most part, I mean, there are exceptions to that rule. Absolutely. Uh, there are people that, absolutely want to be a shithead and they're okay with that, (laughs) you know? And it's, but I mean, we, we know who those people are and we know that at the end of the day, if it doesn't uh, serve well to be around those type of people, they, they exit your life rather quickly, quickly. And so, or sometimes not quickly enough. Yeah. (laughs) Depending. Sometimes four years is too long. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, we all want the same thing. Uh, we want to be better than we were yesterday. Uh, we have, you know, character defects that have hurt people or, or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom, the, the, the base function is to be better than we were yesterday. And I, as long as we, are all on that same page. I, I think that humanity has a chance, uh, but we are in a situation now uh, with this new virus and the quarantining and the self, uh, whatever you want to call it, social distancing, self isolating. Uh, I would hope that people are using this opportunity to, reflect on their own lives and where they are at, uh, happy, unhappy, um, you know, what, Oh, for sure. I can, I mean, I can guarantee you that there's going to be like, after this thing's over, there's going to be a lot of divorces. There's going to be a lot of marriages, like weddings happening. There's going to be a lot of babies being born. There's going to be a lot of like new life and change and, um, like even though it really sucks to be stuck in the house or to be stuck in one spot right now, um, as an artist, I know that like we're going to have some of the best creative work come from our world after this. Um, and that's, that is like, that applies to our economy, to businesses, to products that are being developed, to the methods that we work together as, um, business owners and, and consumers, um, all of that's going to get better. Um, and that doesn't come from me being a Pollyanna kind of person. I'm not a Pollyanna person. Like I'm like worst case scenario, like 
queen. (laughs) Um, But this comes from a place of having experienced that so many times myself that like when you go to these, the chrysalis places, um, you know, when a, when a caterpillar becomes a chrysalis inside the chrysalis is literally just goo. It's just goop. Like if you cut it open, it's the grossest, messiest, like you don't know that that's a butterfly on the inside, (laughs) you know? Um, And so when we go to these cocoon chrysalis places, it feels messy and gross and like no one understands what's happening and everyone's just trying to hold on to their freaking hat. Um, And then what comes from that moment is more struggle. You got to get out of that freaking chrysalis, you know, you got to get out of that thing. And it feels uncomfortable because you're all cooped up and you're too big for the, your wings are too big and you need to get out and you need to fly. And then eventually you do and you, you get to spread your wings, but then it's going to be hard even then because you've never done that before. So it's just going to, it's going to feel like first times all the time. And it's going to feel, um, it's, it's going to feel difficult, but doesn't have to feel as difficult is my, that's my, what I'm saying here is that like, uh, and I think a lot of people, they, they see this moment or they see these moments in time and in history and they're like, Oh, the struggle. (laughs) And they have, they want to like, just lay back on their sword and, and, you know, like martyr themselves on the, on this, the sort of struggle and strive striving for what they want, but that's not, that's, I think that's a little overkill, you know, Um, because we can still have beautiful change and resilience and bravery and courage and like the strength from your vulnerability without the martyrdom, you know, you don't need to kill yourself over, (laughs) over, all of these things. So, um, yeah, but I, you know, the, the season after I got diagnosed, the the two years after I got diagnosed was the most prolific that I've ever been as an artist. Like I released three separate albums with different projects. Um, I started touring, I started, doing a lot more songwriting. Um, I started traveling for my music as opposed to being in one spot. Um, and, and if, and, you know, I'm not saying that that's, that I'm like the exemplary, you know, picture of what's going to happen with our world after this coronavirus. But I will say that like, not only just in that instance, but in many other instances in my life, um, I've experienced what it's like to be at the bottom and be, um, be in that chrysalis stage where you feel like you don't understand why are you, why am I here? What's, what's going on? Why have, like those moments, um, bring only good. Um, if you are choosing to make decisions based on desire rather than your fear. Yeah. I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff comes out of struggle. 
I mean, that's where all the magic mm-hmm. is. Uh, when you, when you are faced with no other options than to move forward or, or re, uh, readdress, uh, you know, uh, come to another conclusion, figure, figure out another way. Uh, you know, a lot of good comes out of that. And, you know, the more that you are in that, the, the, I don't know, the more ready that you are to be able to move through, uh, hurdles in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah. absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your podcast and where we can find it. Sure. So all of my, um, you can find my music at emilyannpeterson.com. Um, I have two projects. I have my solo original song stuff. I usually call it like Papa Canna kind of stuff. It's like if Brandy Carlisle and Brene Brown and Adele all had lunch together, that's what my music sounds like. Um, and so all of that's at emilyannpeterson.com. And then if you're interested in the school of bravery, which has the podcast, um, then you can go to schoolofbravery.com for that. And it's a great fun community, wonderful folks involved in that. It's been really great to facilitate that. Well, it's great, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're out there doing some good using your talents, uh, in other ways to try and make a difference. That's what we all should strive to do. Um, and also, when uh, you get a chance, go ahead and email me all of that stuff in a bio and, and whatever you want to appear in the show notes so people can find you. Sure. Yeah. Happy to do that. All right. Great. And thank you, Emily Ann. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a little bit of your uh, struggle, strife, and and uh, beliefs with uh, the audience. Yeah. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great. And if anybody has any questions or anything else about any of this, I'm happy to always a, an open door and an open book. So um, happy to happy to have an email exchange. Um, my email is hi at emilyannpeterson.com. So all right, great. And then we will have all her uh, places that you can connect with her on uh, the show notes and uh, yeah, all of that. So again, I appreciate your time and uh, good luck to you. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you to Emily Ann for your bravery and uh, sharing your story with us and all about your uh, and what you're doing uh, with the bravery uh, community and movement. As always, you can find Emily Ann's information in the show notes anywhere that you would like to find her or be a part of her world and whatever she's working on and doing. And you can also find all of my uh, places or at least links where you can get in touch with me if you'd like on my link tree. It's probably the best place to go. Follow me on Instagram at nowhere to go, but up now I'm on Twitter at, but up now I'm on YouTube, nowhere to go, but up now podcast, Facebook, Sean Dustin. But if you hit my link tree, it'll take you to all those places. Next episode I have coming out is going to be, uh, number 28 and that's going to be checking back in with uh, Eric Maddox who was episode 13 
we had a conversation about Iran and, and the situation uh, and a little bit of back history on Iran and the, and the United States uh, relationship. And this time he uh, checks in where he's uh, been spending his time. Uh, he went from Spain. Now he's in, uh, I believe, Greece and uh, reporting on uh, the refugee situation over there in Morea and Syria. Always happy uh, to be able to talk to Eric. Got a lot of respect for him as an uh, up-and-coming uh, journalist. So, yeah, we'll have that for you uh, next. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really on a schedule right now, so I just, you know, I'm, I'm releasing them as I complete them. Let's uh, continue social distancing. Wash your hands. Wear the mask. Not the N95, but, you know, if you got some scarf or something. And if you're a, uh, a health worker out there and working in our hospitals, I thank you and, you know, applaud your, your hard work and your efforts and, and everything that you have gone through and will continue to be going through until we get out of this situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I appreciate everything that you are doing and your service, uh, to everybody else who's quarantining and, uh, sheltering in place, find something to do better yourself. Look at your life or if everything's good, figure out a way that you can help contribute or, you know, be of, of service, uh, in your community. If, if there's any, uh, you know, opportunities available like that. Otherwise, just, uh, you know, just got to try to get through this. Strange times. Strange times. But we will. We always do. As a species. Anyways. I'll talk to you next time. Uh, until then. Stay true to yourself. Keep it 100. Everything else is just noise.